Right, let's talk Wellness Corner. Overcoming emotional triggers is our topic. On any given day, you probably experience a range of emotions from excitement, unease, frustration to joy and disappointment. These emotions can relate to events that form part of our daily routine, such as meeting with your boss, going on a date, talking to a friend or seeing your partner after a long day. Your response to these events can vary based on your frame of mind and the circumstances surrounding the situation. A trigger includes memories, experiences, words or events that spark an intense emotional reaction, regardless of your current mood. Let's unpack this with clinical psychologist at the Tembisa Hospital, Andrew Smith. Andrew, good morning and uh, thanks for joining us. Good morning, Asanda. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yes, good. I'm excited and grateful to be speaking to you this morning. Very exciting. Thanks so much for joining us. And that background by Healthline sort of uh, gives us direction in terms of what we mean by triggers. It's saying it it sparks an intense emotional reaction, this trigger. Is it always intense? Uh, It doesn't always have to be. So we've got to remember that emotions are very individualized. Mm -hmm. Um, There's obviously universal emotions we can all relate to. But these triggers are based on that person's history. So what might trigger one person might be very neutral to another. So this is also something I hope to unpack today, just to kind of debunk any myths, Mm -hmm. try and maybe reduce some uh, emotional acceptance in the listeners, uh, and just promote mental health as a whole. Okay. Let's debunk the myths then. What do we mean by triggers? So I think the assumption there is, at any given point in time, if someone encounters the same situation, that they'll respond in the same way. And we need to differentiate between the outcome of a particular emotion and the emotion itself, because that is an internal experience, which then we see evidenced by the outcome that then takes place thereafter. Mm -hmm. So based on experience, so for instance, someone that's traumatized, uh, that obviously gets very much ingrained in their memory, in the memory bank, and that then they take through through the rest of their lives. So they may hear a, a sound, for instance, they may hear a word, they may hear a song playing, and all of a sudden there's an intense emotional experience that takes place that for someone else in the same room, there would be absolutely nothing being triggered within them. So it also tries to orientate our focus on what's important to pay attention to at what time. And that's the value of emotion. <clears throat> it's technically a survival mechanism. Mm. Does it always apply in the negative sense in terms of trigger? So you're always triggered with the ugly experiences or can it also be a trigger including a memory that is good and one ends up responding in such a way that maybe not is not necessarily reflective of what's going on, but they're reminded of a good memory and then in that way it's positive? Absolutely, and I'm glad you've mentioned that because there is we tend towards a negativity bias. So negative emotions or what we would term unpleasant emotions are adaptive and meant for survival. But just as important are those more pleasant positive, uh, positive emotions, um, which, like you say, cultivate a sense of warmth, a sense of trust, joy. These are all things that color our lives. And absolutely, I mean, one thing that I think listeners can, can maybe relate to is music. There's certain songs that uh, typify a phase of life that you went through. I'm sure everyone remembers a song that they had at their final farewell in the trick or a particular phase of life in university mm. or some other point in life. So as I've mentioned, these are all embodied. These are internalized experiences that are very unique to each individual. Um, and triggers, it sounds, I mean, it's quite a violent connotation to a trigger, 
Um, But these are just things that activate an emotion. That's all it is. It's a stimulus. There's an event that takes place. There's obviously then an idea or a thought about the situation. And that then sets in motion the emotional experience and the behaviors that extend from that. So it's not as simple as saying, this happened and I felt this way. That's often a temptation in people that they cut out that there's an appraisal process or a, a thinking about what's happening that people tend to take for granted because it's very automatic. But that's the differentiating factor and something in psychotherapy we very much try and target. How far back then does it go in terms of one's life uh, journey, these memories and experiences and words and events? Is there a time where if it has been happening or it has happened a long, long time ago, say, for example, when I was five years old, that it might uh, fade away in my life or it continues to go with me, uh, that whatever it is that triggers me? That's also a very good question, Asanda. And I think... We need to, so it depends on the type of memory. So obviously the content memory, so these are our declarative memories, the actual descriptive memories we can tell, Mm -hmm. usually start at a person's life at about four to six years old. That's when they can start to tell their own stories. Before then, it's usually secondhand accounts from family members. What's really important is there's something called evocative memory, Mm -hmm. and that's pretty much in place from 18 months old, and that is an embodied knowledge. So if there is trauma at early age, that gets locked within the cells in our body, and that is very much within our sensory um, environment. And that's an old part of the brain that is designed to protect us. So these things, even though we might not know exactly why certain situations move us in certain ways, that took place at a time when our declarative memory or the content part of our memory was not in force yet but it very much feels as if there's something reoccurring that we've been there before. So that was, a, I think that's an important part to recognize. Our body knows our journey, even if the mind doesn't know how to make sense of it yet. Mm. How do we identify what our triggers are? Let's talk external triggers. So I think the easiest way is to build in a self-reflective stance, and this is something where psychotherapy can be very useful Um, navigating this territory alone can feel very confusing and overwhelming at times. But one of the things I like to promote is journaling. So Mm -hmm. just jotting down your thoughts, exploring feelings, sensations, because these are also, um, there's a physiological component to to emotions that is often misunderstood. Um, So just taking note of what's happening in my body, where do I feel the emotion? Um, what was happening just before the emotion uh, emerged, what happened afterwards, what kind of responses came with that. So it's really just building in a curiosity mindset and making sure that you're tracking it over time. And through that, you can start to increase your self-awareness and almost prepare yourself for difficult moments or become far more aware, far, far quicker in situations where emotions guide your behavior in a very powerful way. Does it help for family and close friends to also point out one's triggers or that is not uh, progressive? Uh, You'd rather say a person must be the only one to identify for themselves. Absolutely not. So remember, there's also we are social beings as human beings Mm. and emotions are adaptive on that end as well because they help us share and communicate our experience. And part of the uh, the emotional experience is the expression thereof. So obviously there's body language, there's facial expressions that might be very unconscious to us or very automatic. And people that we know and trust that, that have seen us over time can start to pick up very quickly whether there's a shift in our mood. 
And this is where sometimes conflict arises because body language gets misinterpreted, expressions get misinterpreted. So social circles can be very valuable to provide feedback to an individual about what they see. Mm. And then that can be used as a point of conversation to say, I notice that your, your hands have just clenched. Is this making you tense? Are you feeling angry? And that's, again, this is part of the learning cycle. Um, so uh, definitely your social circles can be very valuable to generating a sense of uh, coming into terms with your emotional experience. Okay, so now we've identified what the triggers are. If we feel that there needs to be a change in terms of frame of mind or how we respond to these triggers, what then? What is the, the thing to do? I mean, you, you talk of journaling. So journaling is only one of the things. So speaking about the experience is very powerful. It doesn't have to be with a therapist, but it can just be with a good friend. Mm-hmm. So if there are intense emotions that you feel are, are causing you some um, distress, um, obviously just sharing that with a concerned other can be uh, a part of the resolution process. Um, there's also ways just, just to maintain a, a healthy lifestyle. I think often emotions, because they are quite physical, if we are hungry, tired, if we are um, kind of using mood-altering drugs, not following a balanced diet, these can very much affect our emotional experience. So tracking and maintaining a healthy lifestyle is also part of maintaining mental health because these things are intimately connected. So I would definitely recommend just making sure the basics are taken care of and then just building in that critical self-reflection. Journaling is important at the beginning because it can feel very overwhelming and by putting it on paper it gives you a sense of distance from the emotion so then it feels more manageable after time as you do this more repeatedly you can do it more on the fly you can be a bit more dynamic with how you converse with yourself and reason through situations so when you do have a trigger you can then adapt more readily each time that you're exposed to a very situation one of our listeners, Adronicus, says that uh, he's talking about blocking people on social media when you're triggered. He says even friends that you've had for a while, uh, you can block them on social media. Is that an option? Is that something that can be a response? It is. And I mean, a lot of people do do that. But from my perspective, that's an avoidance strategy. Mm. So that's only that's going to provide temporary relief. And I think if you cut off the value of what that emotion is trying to tell you, you then... you you lose an opportunity to develop self-awareness. So I'm always very interested when I feel strong emotions around people. What is it about this person or what is it about this interaction that's made me feel this way? Mm. So although distressing and unpleasant emotions, our first kind of response is to avoid and push away because it feels very threatening, um, actually confronting that emotion and sitting with it and working through it can be very valuable. So... There are points in relationships where walking away is, excuse me, the best option. But if you can sit with these difficult emotions and listen to what they're trying to tell you, that can also be very valuable and impactful to the rest of your life. Right. Let's leave it there for now. Thank you so much for enlightening us on this uh, issue. Uh, Andrew, we really appreciate your time and happy Wednesday. Thank you, Asanda. You're welcome. Thanks so much for the opportunity. A pleasure. Andrew Smith is clinical psychologist at the Tembisa Hospital talking overcoming emotional triggers. All right, we're going to take a short break here on SFM Sound Awake and then talking about the Christian Women Entrepreneurs Network of Africa after this.